My name is Noah Johnston, and I'm the director of Project Line. So what inspired you to join the nonprofit sector? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I went to college for a government public policy degree, ended up getting a, a minor in marketing, and I worked with some uh, local politicians for a while, a lot of face-to-face -face interaction with uh, you know, constituents and, and things like that. And I eventually shifted over to another client-facing role with a nonprofit called the Cash Campaign of Maryland. I really enjoyed the work. I, I liked helping people. Uh, and I could really, there was like a tactile experience with that, sitting down doing a financial education, tax preparation, asset development with uh, low-income populations in the Baltimore region, which is where I'm from. So that's kind of how I got into the, the sector. And then I uh, was relocating to New York City and ended up finding this position with Project Lime uh, to where, again, I, I have a lot of face-to-face -face capabilities, less in-person, but we still host a lot of events. Uh, I get to talk to doctors, I get to talk to patients, and again, have that feeling of of helping people. That's really, I think, what majority of people who work in the nonprofit sector uh, want to do. And so I'm happy to have the opportunity to to work with people and help them as much as I can. That's awesome. Uh, can you give me some background information on Lyme disease? Sure, sure. Uh, happy to. So I, I do want to start by saying that while I work with this organization, I myself am not a patient. Uh, that's actually somewhat of a unique situation. I know a lot of people who work with public health facing organizations usually have a direct connection. Uh, my father had Lyme disease, but not in the level that a lot of the patients that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis do. So to, to answer your question, Lyme is actually the most common vector-borne disease in the United States with an estimated 476,000 cases a year. In the earlier stages, uh, the illness presents with flu-like symptoms. It's known as the great imitator. Uh, it has you know, fatigue, fever, enlarged lymph nodes, headaches, muscle aches, joint pain, and even neurological symptoms in the early stages. But it's when you get to the late stages uh, of disseminated persistent or chronic Lyme disease where it really represents a, a large piece of the patient population, especially the ones that I'm working with. Uh, because, you know, those who have the disease and continue to suffer chronic symptoms typically, you know, continue to seek out information, education, and a community, whereas those who, who get it and are done with it in, in a couple of weeks are not uh, staying up to date on the, the daily happenings in the Lyme world. But an estimated 10 to 20% of patients fall into that category of persistent or chronic. And as I mentioned, they make up a, a majority of our community. I, I don't want to take up too much time spending on the minutia of the disease. It's very complicated and continues to expand in research. So I definitely would encourage anybody who watches this to go to our website and learn more. We have hundreds of videos, articles, you know, whatever you may need to help educate the public and also specifically patients. So you said something that it's like the great imitator. Yeah. What are some of the initiatives Project Lyme does to let people know more about uh, the disease. Sure, yeah. Uh, so we operate really on, on four key tenets. Uh, the first and being one of our most important is educating the public. Uh, we've done that by developing widespread PSA campaigns that have aired on Hulu, major news websites like CNN and USA Today, and actually on over 70 TV stations nationwide. 
Uh, we also host free webinars with experts in the field, including doctors and researchers. But that's one of our four key tenets. Outside of that, we also fund research. Uh, as I briefly mentioned, we've granted over $1.5 million to 15 different projects since wow. 2018. Uh, we also advocate solutions and uh, help start a 501c4. We're a founding member of Center for Lyme Action, which works directly in DC to help lobby uh, on behalf of patients and increase federal funding for Lyme disease research. And then lastly, uh, as I mentioned, supporting the community, we have a program called Mothers Against Lyme, which is a support group for mothers of children with Lyme disease. Uh, the meetups are pretty well attended and, and they create a safe space for these women to kind of discuss their situation, provide help and offer solutions for others who you know are working through the same struggles. So just to recap, educate the public, fund research, advocate solutions, support the community. That's kind of what we do as an organization. So with educating the public, you could have just had a website with, you know, just the information, paragraphs on paragraphs. But I was sure. looking at your website and you uh, have a thing called Your Lime Journey, which is an interactive look. How important is it to have more of a hands-on thing for people to understand Lyme disease? I'm so glad that you saw it and thought interactive because that's literally what we envisioned as an organization when we we worked through this process of actually developing this website in 2021. So it's been out for about a year going on two years this March. Uh, and the interactiveness of it is so important because of the density of the information as we wanted people to feel like if you're no, you, you know, you have no concept of what Lyme disease is, you can come to our website and hit that what is Lyme section and really get the basics of understanding of, all right, what are the infections? Uh, how is it transmitted? What are the symptoms? But if you already know, if you've been sick for years, you know, it's not, that's not information you need. So you may come in and think, all right, well, how do I start to treat myself? So that's how we have the understanding treatment section. And we would hope that if somebody's coming in and, and looking for information there, they'd go to that section and be able to watch some of these videos I talked about where it's experts and, and practitioners talking about their pr uh, protocols or patients themselves talking about things that have worked for them and just general educational articles on uh, emerging treatments or, or standard protocols that people might, might work with. So exactly what you mentioned, it's, it's very interactive and we did that on purpose to try to engage people in all stages because you know it that's just how how it is is you may have no idea or you may have been dealing with this for for years so you just talked about uh patients and uh what they're going through what are some of the responses you received from patients yeah that's a that's a great question and uh, i'll talk first about a very moving situation for me it actually wasn't from a patient but actually the mother of a, a young man who had really uh, severe psychological issues as a result of lyme disease actually the webinar i hosted last night is neuropsychiatric uh, manifestations of lyme so it happens very often and can really just change people completely so this mother, after one of the first webinars I hosted, she reached out to me and she said, uh, you know, that I've reminded her a lot of her son before he got sick and 
uh, that she was so happy to see that there was an organization trying to educate people to help them not end up like her son. And that was just extremely moving to me to hear that this disease has literally changed this person's life to the point that she almost doesn't recognize him anymore. Uh, and then the comparison to me, and I, I literally broke down and into tears when I read that. So that was probably the most moving, but outside of that, I mean, you could go to our Instagram page, Facebook, any public forum, or even attend one of our webinars and you'll just see people who are thankful for the information and usually following that thanks up with additional questions. So people are always wanting to learn more. Uh, so that's really the responses we get. It's like, thanks, what about this? Or like, you guys are so great, you should definitely do something on this uh, because there's it's just such a widespread and diverse disease that there's so many people just looking for help and, and we strive to be that organization. And it's great that people are uh, open to come forward and, you know, you get to learn a little bit more about them and their questions. Yeah, I mean, I love, uh, like I said, I started out being very face-to-face, in-person, client-facing. Uh, so I've, I'm remote a majority of the time with this, but I still get the opportunity to work directly with people, even if it's over the phone, uh, over, you know, a Zoom call, whatever always happy to to try to help people find their way to getting better or finding their way to resources like like treatment grants or you know things like that well you just touched a little bit on it but uh i want to ask what motivates you yeah i mean helping people is is really a big thing i mean i feel there's such a i mean selfishly there's almost a reward personally, that comes right. from helping somebody else. It's like, if I can make somebody else's day better or seem like I'm putting them on the on a path to finding information that they desperately need, then it, it makes me feel good about doing the job that I'm doing. So that definitely is a, a big motivator. And my mom, for reference, is a nurse. So I've worked, you know, I grew up around that type of seeing people identifying specifics of what's wrong with them and taking next steps of how to provide a solution. So while I'm not in the medical profession in that way, I'm still working with the public health nonprofit and I'm able to do and and make some of those impacts on people without being a nurse or a doctor or something. And, and that's a cool, I think a pretty cool thing for me. So where do you want to see Project Lyme in the next three to five years? Yeah, so I'm going on my third year anniversary with the organization in May. Uh, so thinking like another three years from now, I would love to see us continue to expand yeah. the way that we have since 2020. So, uh, you know, social media is really a big part of the education and awareness that we do, continuing to see our community grow there, showing that we are providing really high quality education through it so that people want to come. So, you know, when I started out, we were, we were tiny. We, I, in total, I think we had maybe like 10,000 followers across all of our, our platforms, but now we're getting close to 40,000. Oh, wow. We've really expanded. Uh, and I think that's a direct result of the helpful information that we share. So just continuing to develop strategies that's going to educate people within the community and also find a way to penetrate the outside of that, of people who may have no un understanding of what Lyme disease is. And I know you're likely going to ask about prevention, but that's one of the biggest things. 
is, you know, if we can find a way to educate people in the community about ways to get better and then educate those outside of the community of ways to prevent getting sick, then we've really accomplished what we're trying to do, which is to eradicate Lyme disease from, from all existence, which is almost impossible. But if we can keep it down, that's the goal. Yeah, so I'll, I'll ask that. So what are some of the tips you would give uh, people to prevent? Sure. So I'll I'll say that there's more that goes into this, but on our website, there's a nice five-step uh, list of things that you can do in terms of prevention. So, you know, the first thing is getting to know your surroundings. Uh, we are actually, the organization is based in, in New York City. I'm currently living in, in Baltimore, Maryland, but even in New York, for example, take a, a huge city, there's still trees, there's still birds, there's still yeah. rats. And people always think deer tick, oh, they'll only inhabit a deer, but any of those animals that I just mentioned can be hosts. So you could literally be in the middle of a city and there's still a potential for you to get a tick bite. So it, it's really just a matter of knowing your surroundings, making sure you're uh, wearing appropriate clothing, uh, keeping note of you know, are, is there animals close by, et cetera. Uh, you can also use tick repellent on exposed skin or on your clothing. Uh, people treat it with permethrin, and we obviously recommend EPA-regulated uh, repellents such as DEET, picaridin. Um, there's, there's a lot of options out there. Uh, in addition to that, would recommend that if you are going to go on a hike, when you come back, make sure to... Uh, take your clothing off, throw it in the dryer. That'll help kill ticks. Uh, and then also take a shower because in that process, you're having the ability to do a, a tick check, you know, as you're going through and, and washing your body. But again, re reiterating tick checks, very important there, especially behind the, behind the knees and the elbows, any crevice, they're very small animals or, you know, insects. And it's definitely worthwhile to at least take a look and see if, all right, maybe this this little brown dot wasn't here before. Maybe I should see if that's a tick. Uh, so in addition to that, you know, obviously prevention is a big thing, but just because you follow all the steps, it doesn't necessarily mean you might still not get bitten by a tick. I mean, right. you can wear bug spray and you can still get a mosquito bite. So following the proper steps after that is extremely important. I would, again, direct to our website. We have a really great video on there on how to remove a tick. Uh, and the most important thing is to make sure that you get down towards the head of the tick so that you can actually pull the the uh, the pincers out because that's where the uh, blood is being sucked and in vice versa, the bacteria is being put into your system. So if you can remove it from there, that's a, a very important step. And then after removal, it's also extremely important to send a tick into a testing location because these uh, tests, these labs, are able to tell you, all right, you may not feel sick yet, but it may still be important to do some prophylaxis because this tick had Borrelia burgdorferi or Babesia or any of the tick-borne infections that you may be able to get. So there's, you know, a lot you can do for prevention, but as I mentioned, you know, you can do all you want to prevent it and you still might end up with a bite. So from there, there's more steps you can take and, and really just encouraging people to be conscious, wear long socks, wear long pants, do tick checks and, and try to stay as safe as you can. So how can people uh, reach out to you? 
Yeah, so I'll say our email first. We have a, a info account. I would say info at projectlime.org. Uh, I manage that constantly. So any questions you may have, feel free to reach out to that email address. I would also encourage you to follow us on social media. At, on It's at Project Lime on every single platform, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we constantly are sharing updates about when events are going to be but also cutting edge research in the field, either stuff that we funded or is just happening to uh, come out. We want that information to be available, widely available to the public because it's extremely important to know, all right, is there a new treatment coming out or is there a new variation of uh, tick-borne disease or a new host or, you know, so there's so much information that we share. Uh, and obviously if you send us a message there as well, somebody will get back to you, either myself or a member of our social media team will get back to you as soon as we can with any questions you may have.